I want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. As you're turning there, we are in the midst of our series called Headlines, and you have a program that you should have received on your way in. If you would like to fill in notes along the way, certainly you can do that. But as we study this headline series, we're examining the different, the seven different I am statements that Jesus made in the book of John. And this morning, we are going to be looking at a portion of scripture in John chapter 15 that is called the upper, the upper room discourse. And, and this discourse really starts in chapter 14 and moves on through 17. But, but in this moment, Jesus is is realizing that his final moments, his final hours are upon him, and he is celebrating the Lord's Supper. He is celebrating Passover, this final supper with his disciples. And he knew that his his moments were coming to a close, and that in just a few brief hours, he was going to make that journey to the cross. And I think about our final moments, and typically in our final moments of life, and and none of us have been in those moments yet, but as we've observed other people that have gotten to those final moments, what do they do? They want to make those moments count. And so we say the things that matter most to us. We say the things that are on our heart because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so Jesus is speaking out of the abundance of his heart in John chapter 15. And so I want to read the first 11 verses with you this morning. Uh, These are the words of our Savior Jesus Christ. He said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you or done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be filled. And so this, this is the, this is the last few moments that Jesus has with his disciples. And out of the abundance of his heart, the mouth is speaking. This is what he wants them to know. And he's talking about something that is very important to him that we really kind of wouldn't expect him to talk about in his final hours for that last object lesson. We don't expect for him to be talking about grapevines, but this is exactly what he does. He wants to, he wants to, uh, I guess, depart from them, leaving a lesson that sticks, a message that will sustain them, something that they will remember for the days and the years and potentially the decades to come. Folks, I promise you, on my deathbed, when I am imparting my last words to my children and my grandchildren and hopefully my great-grandchildren, I can promise you one thing. I will not be speaking about horticulture. <laughs> but this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the grapevine. He's talking about him being a vine and us being the branches. You see, Jesus never missed a moment to teach. And there was no object that he couldn't turn into a lesson 
But even this seems odd that he would speak about grapevines in his final moments. But this is a powerful word picture that Jesus is giving to his disciples and that he's giving to us. And these people understood where he was going. The disciples understood where Jesus was kind of going with this lesson. They knew all about grapevines because grapevines were all over ancient Israel during those days. And there was a chance that as Uh, Many scholars, many academics believe that they were no longer in the upper room at this moment, but that they were traveling toward the Garden of Gethsemane. And so many scholars tell us that the disciples and Jesus were on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And out there, there would have been many vines and vineyards on the hillsides. And they believe that Jesus was doing an object lesson because they had probably seen some vineyards, or maybe they had caught a glimpse of Herod's temple off in the distance, just beyond the city walls. And what history tells us is that Herod's temple had massive grapevines kind of put into the side of the temple in gold. They were laid in gold. And so Jesus is taking this moment to make one last lesson stick with his followers. So understand that that grapes were a vital part of the life of a first century Jew. They couldn't survive without the vineyard. They couldn't survive without the vine because when fresh, safe drinking water was hard to come by in the Middle East in those days, they relied on the fruit of the vine. The the vine produced grapes and the grapes produced wine for them to drink. So in these final moments that Jesus is speaking, he is landing a lesson with his followers And because these men knew scripture, because they knew um, the Old Testament, they knew what Jesus was kind of referring to because they were considered, they considered themselves the vine of the Old Testament. If you look throughout the Old Testament, you'll see many times when God refers to Israel as the vine. So these disciples, these followers of Jesus, they understood themselves to be the, the OG vine, as the kids say these days. They were the original. They were the original vine, but the fact of the matter is, is that they were not a healthy vine. They produced very little or very rotten fruit many times because they were rebellious and they were disobedient toward God. And they put their strength, they put their hope in keeping the law and producing their own fruits of righteousness. And as a result, they produced very little fruit. And so when God would refer to them as the vine in the Old Testament, it was almost always with a negative connotation. They were not a healthy vine. They were not producing the kind of fruit that God wanted for them. Instead of resting on the simplicity of a relationship with God, they tried to bring in their own efforts. They tried to to, to make it all about following the law. And they tried to insert their own works of righteousness as a way to earn favor with God. And they were unhealthy as a result. And they complicated that relationship with God. You know, as a young person growing up in, a, in an independent, fundamental Baptist church, uh, and I, I got to say this as I share this illustration, I'm very proud of my upbringing. I'm very thankful for it. So I say this kind of jokingly and in jest, but I do love what God did through me and through my church in my formative years. But as an independent, fundamental Baptist church, I knew a thing or two about self-righteousness. I had a list of things that I learned to do or believed was necessary in order to impress God or to please God. You see, I had a list of things and I was, I was a good little legalist, if I'm being honest with you. I was a rule follower. And so I could do all of these things thinking to myself, 
Because I'm doing this, I'm impressing God. Because I'm doing this, he must love my good works and he maybe even loves me more than others. Maybe just maybe I'm his favorite because I have obeyed this list. And so what are these things, what's on this list of mine that uh, I believed helped me to earn the righteousness of God? Man, I believed that in order to please God, you not only went to church on Sunday mornings, but you went to Sunday school. And I believe not only did you go to Sunday school, but you also went to church on Sunday night. And not only did you go to church on Sunday night, but you went to Wednesday night prayer meetings as well. And not only did you go to that, but if you were a super spiritual Christian, you went to Tuesday night visitation. Okay, that's where the spiritual people really were. All right, we believed that, man, the, the only way to attend a church that would impress God or that would please God is to wear your absolute Sunday best. That meant that men wear suits and ties. That meant that women wear dresses. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We believed these things, and I believed these things to be true. So when I was about a junior high or early high school, I started wearing suits to church every Sunday in order to please and impress God. We believe that the King James Version was the authorized version. It was the only version that impressed God. It was the only version that we could read from, that we could preach from, and every other version of the Bible was just nearly inspired, right? Like we used to joke about the NIV, the New International Version. It was the nearly inspired version of the Bible, right? Like so we believe that the that the King James was God's favorite translation and that his favorite instruments were the piano and the organ and his favorite music genres were hymns and Southern gospel. These were things that we did as a list in order to, to impress God. We believe that Christians don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't chew, and they don't go out with girls who do, right? You've all heard that phrase before. Maybe you've never heard of this one, right? Have you ever heard of the phrase Baptist brighter? I was a Baptist brighter growing up, and that meant that because we were independent, fundamental Baptists, right, we were better than the Southern Baptists. We were better than just regular Baptists. We were the independent, fundamental Baptists, and that means that we were the true and pure bride of Christ. That meant that we believed that when the marriage supper of the Lamb happens at the end of all things, that we would have a front row seat. We were the bride of Christ, the true bride of Christ. We were the best. Everybody else was just the rest, right? That's kind of the things that we believed um, in order to, to gain favor with God, to impress God. And I got to tell you, those of you who have been apostolics for a very long time, you thought you had the market cornered on conservatism and fundamentalism, didn't you? Us Baptists, folks, we put the fun in fundamental, all right? And uh, man, we really worked hard at being fundamental and trying to impress God And I was convinced that if I did all of these things, that he would be pleased with me. But as I've grown in my discipleship, as as I've broken away from some of that, and once again, I'm very thankful for my upbringing, but as I've grown away from some of those things, I've learned that many of those things were just personal preferences. And there's nothing wrong with any of those preferences. Many of you prefer hymns. Nothing wrong with that. Many of you prefer to wear your Sunday best. Nothing wrong with that. Many of you have your favorite version of the Bible that you like to read from. Nothing wrong with that, but let me say this. When preferences become precepts to live by, that we have to do these things, that often leads to pride and it perverts the gospel. And this is what Israel had been doing for centuries. They were perverting the relationship that they had with Jesus, trying to bring their own efforts and their good works into it. So the question I have for you this morning is, are we really that different? 
Are we really very different from them 2,000 years later? I mean, don't we pride ourselves in our preferences? Aren't we guilty of making Christianity harder or more complicated than it really is? The final words of Jesus in John chapter 15, they remind us that the Christian life really is way more simple than we try to make it out to be. Because John 15 goes into the final I am statement of Jesus in his life. And I want to I break down this passage of scripture over the next 20 minutes. And um, I want to really just share with you what God has laid upon my heart that I kind of took away from this passage. And let's start in verse 1 as we kind of recap this passage. Where Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And what Jesus is saying is, I am the source of life. If you want to have life, if you want to have abundant life, then you need to draw your life and you need to draw your source from me. And I think that there are so many people, non-Christian and maybe Christian alike, who are trying to go through this life and they're trying to make their ambitions and their goals and their pursuits, that is their source. That is what they're chasing after. That is what they're trying to look to, to give them life. And then they sprinkle in a little bit of Jesus here and they go to a little bit of church there and they might pray a prayer here and they just kind of include Jesus as a supplement and not a source. And it leaves them empty. It leaves them wanting. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you are in Christ, then that means that I am your source of life. And you need to draw your your courage. You need to draw your energy. You need to draw life from me and me only. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And so Jesus is going to go further into this Uh, description further into this object lesson as we continue to go on. But I want you to hear what he says as we read, starting in verse two, the first part of it. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So this is my first point this morning. God's discipline is always intended to produce fruitfulness in us. His discipline is always intended to produce fruitfulness in us. You know, when we read those words that God, he takes away, I think it's easy for us to assume that, that God is just removing them. And, and some versions, as you read them, it, your version might actually say that he cuts off those who do not bear fruit. I mean, think about it. What do we do? I know me, I'm no kind of gardener. I'm certainly not a vine dresser, but I am not patient sometimes as well. And I live with very little margin in my life. We have a 1600 square foot house. I have three girls that are still living at home. And one of them spends half her time at college, half her time at home. And we just don't have a lot of margin. We don't have a lot of space. So the motto in my household for me is if I haven't used it in the last couple of years, it's got to go because we do not have space for clutter and excess, especially for things that are useless and not producing fruit for us. And so that's kind of how I see things. It's like, hey, if it's not producing fruit, get rid of it. If it's not useful, toss it out, take it to the, take it to the trash, sell it in a yard sale, whatever you got to do. But this is not who Jesus is. We're talking about branches that are in Christ, where Jesus said, anyone that is in me, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And as we look in verse two, Jesus says, every branch in me. And so I think it's easy for us to look at this and say, well, man, does that mean he just cuts off Christians? No, that's not, 
That's not biblical doctrine. And so I think that when we read this, it says that he takes away or he cuts off. There's actually a better translation because Jesus never removes even a disobedient Christian. He never leaves them. He never forsakes them. In fact, if we look back at John chapter 6, I want to read verses 35 through 37. This was another I am statement that Jesus made. And maybe you remember just a few weeks ago, we talked about him being the bread of life. John chapter 6, verse 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So Jesus never gets rid of those who belong to him. If we are in Christ, we cannot lose our salvation. We cannot have it taken away from us. And so we read this verse and think taken away feels like it's removed. It feels like it's cut off. But if we look at that Greek word arrow um, that, that gives us the words take away in the original Greek, it's arrow. It actually a better translation might mean to lift up. It might mean to lift up. And so rather than taking away, God wants to lift us up when he disciplines us. If you know anything about a shoot that grows out of the vine, their natural tendency is to grow toward the ground because it's just easier to grow down than it is up. But the ground is not conducive to growing healthy grapes, right? Because on the ground is dirt. On the ground is insects and and, and pests and bacteria and water and mud and mildew, and and grapes cannot grow on the ground because they need exposure to sun. They need air. They need room to grow. They need protection from the elements. And so a vine dresser doesn't just cut those shoots off. He doesn't just remove them. He lifts that branch up onto the trellis. And sometimes he needs to attach that branch to the trellis in order that it will grow in the right direction because that branch has a natural tendency to grow wild. And the the vine dresser, his heart is to work with the branch and to rehabilitate it to the point where it produces healthy fruit. And this lifting up process, folks, this is the best news that we don't want to hear. Because what this tells us is, is that God disciplines his children until we can bear fruit. And we tend to despise God's discipline like we hated the discipline from our parents when we were younger. Even though we knew we needed it, even though we knew we deserved it, we hated it. Even though all these years later, we look back and say, man, I probably needed more of that as well. Um, but it made you the man, it made you the woman that you are today because it taught you something. Folks, because of our sin nature, we are prone to wander. We are prone just like the vine or just like the branches of the vine to grow in wild and many various directions and left to our basest desires. We will always go to the lowest uh, level of um, depravity. And we will always sink to that low level because we have a sin nature and we find ourselves in seasons of sin. We find ourselves in the muck and the mire of life because we rebel against him. So God has to administer a sanctified, I like to call it a sanctified spanking. Every once in a while, he has to discipline his children, doesn't he? In fact, look over at Hebrews chapter 12. It talks about this. We don't love this passage of scripture either because it it reveals the heart of God and what discipline does in our lives. And it says this, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses um, you as sons? My sons do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Verse six, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
This is great news. Because if you've experienced the discipline of God, if you've experienced the discipline of Jesus Christ, then that means you are his and you belong to him. And he reproves you in order to rehabilitate you and to reconcile you and to make you right with him. And sometimes that brings us pain. Sometimes he has to reshape us, but look what it produces. Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 11. It says this, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. You ever experienced the discipline of God and it felt anything but unpleasant? Like it's unpleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I love this. We're talking about fruit this morning and the fruit that we can produce. When we experience the discipline of God and we're trained by it, it produces the fruit of righteousness. God is always disciplining in order to bring fruitfulness into our lives. Number two, God's pruning is always intended to produce fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. God's discipline, as we know, can be very painful, but it's necessary to produce fruit in our lives. And in order for the, uh, for, the, for the vine dresser to get the fullest harvest out of his crop, a vine dresser has to go against a, a branch's natural tendency. And a natural tendency for a, for a branch is to, is to grow more branches. A branch's natural tendency is always more growth because more branch growth is always easier than more fruit growth. Think about that. Fruit growth is difficult for the vine, it's difficult for the branch, but growing longer as a branch is much easier. But overgrowth on a vine will bear too little fruit. Too many shoots, too much dead wood will choke out the sun and the moisture and the nutrients that a branch needs in order to produce much healthy fruit. So make no mistake, our vine dresser, our heavenly father, his desire for us is to bear much fruit. This is what he wants from us. He wants to get the most fruit out of his vine. And his desire for you is not just that you produce fruit. Check this out. He doesn't just want you to be fruitful and to have more fruit. He, his, his love for you and his desire for you is to be progressive. His passion is progressive for you. He wants you to produce much fruit. Look at the second part of verse 2 in John chapter 15. It says this, And every branch that does, not, that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the vine dresser brings in the shears, when the shoots start growing too long, when there's, when there's unfocus, when there's distractions, the, the vine dresser has to come in and clean things up. He has to prune away the, the, the branch or, or, or he has to prune away the Christian. He knows that this is going to be difficult, but it's necessary. And he cuts away the excess. He's looking to get rid of what's dead and to strengthen what is good in our lives. So God, our vine dresser, man, he does the painful work of, of pruning us back so that we'll be even more fruitful, that we'll have more than just more fruit, that we will have much fruit. So he does the painful work of pruning, and he sometimes has to change our priorities. He has to change our preoccupations and our pursuits in order to get the most and the best fruit possible. And that means sometimes he has to remove things. Think about your life over the years as you've walked with Christ. Sometimes God has to remove things so that you can be focused more on kingdom purposes and 
Not all of those things are sinful things, but maybe they become selfish things. Some of them might be good things that somehow became God things. Some of them might be devotions that became distractions. And God says, I got to remove it. I got to take away these, these unhealthy branches in order that the, the branch on the vine will grow healthy and grow strong. And so God's pruning in our lives is meant to, uh, you know, God's pruning in our lives might mean for some of us that we have to release some things. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a pursuit or, or a hobby or a time waste something that you love, something that you've given much time and effort and energy to, sometimes you've got to get rid of it. And I'll tell you in my own life, I've, I've seen this. When, when Becky and I were dating, um, I was getting pretty serious about getting engaged. I'm not sure if I've shared this story before or not, but I knew I was going to propose to her at some point very soon. And so I may have even had the ring to, to get engaged to her. And her parents knew that it was coming. And I just kind of secretly made a deal uh, well, not secretly, I made an open deal with my soon-to-be bride that if I get you an engagement ring, will you get me a Sony PlayStation? <laughs> and uh, she said, of course she wanted a ring, right? She says, yes, I'll get you a PlayStation. Well, her parents just so happened to be in the room when we made this little bargain together. And she did not know that I was going to give her a ring very soon. And so she got the ring and she loved wearing the ring and her parents held her to her end of the bargain. So I got the PlayStation and I loved playing the PlayStation. So for the first few years of our marriage before the kids came along, man, I loved playing that Sony PlayStation. I loved video games. And we would even play together. We would waste hours upon hours playing games. And you know what? She would beat me almost every time. Whether it was like Cool Borders, whether it was NBA shootout, whatever it was, she would beat me. She didn't even know how she was doing it, but she would whoop me every time that we played. My buddies from college would come over. She would whoop up on them as well. Didn't even know how it happened. But here's the, here's the thing I'm telling you is the older I got, the more I wanted to go deeper in Christ. The more I wanted to grow in my discipleship. And I knew that the boyhood pursuits and the ambitions that I had in my life, I needed to let go of. I needed to let go of some things and release some things in order that I might go deeper with Jesus Christ. And he was calling me to that. And I'm going to tell you, when I got rid of that Sony PlayStation, it felt like something good in my life was being cut out. It felt like something familiar was being taken away, but that's what I needed to do in order to give God more of me. I needed to eliminate the distractions and he needed to prune me and prune this thing out of my life. And what I've learned about vine dressing, I don't know much about it, but what I've learned about it over the years is that the older and the more mature a branch grows, the harder it is to be pruned. And this is not good news for some of us that are mature in Christ, right? Like some of you, you're getting up there in years. You've been walking with Jesus for a long time. And, the, and, the, and the, the fortunate thing is that Jesus still, God still wants to, he wants to prune you. But the unfortunate thing is, is that it gets harder and harder because it gets more and more uncomfortable. The more you grow familiar with Christ, the more you walk with him, oftentimes the more he demands of you and the more he desires from you. And that means that pruning gets even that much more difficult because we get more and more set in our ways. But God will always want more for us and from us. And when we do that, when we release more of ourselves to him, it means that he will bring fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. Number three, the end. Abiding in Christ is intended to produce joy-filled living in us. Look down to verse seven. 
John chapter 15, moving on in this passage, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear, see those two words again, much fruit, not just fruit, much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples as the father has loved me. So have I loved you abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept the father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The one thing, the one thing, folks, that we are expected to do in this relationship with Christ, this relationship with God is to simply abide. It's very simple. Is there any more inactive action than abiding? I mean, think about it. You're doing something, but not achieving anything, but everything is being accomplished. You're simply abiding and letting Jesus bring the fruit, letting the vine produce the fruit. And admittedly, man, for many of us, abiding is not easy, right? Like we are much better at human doing than we are human being. We want to offer our best works. We want to offer our works of righteousness and we want to impress God by the good things that we do. We want to contribute by nature. A vine wants to contribute or a branch wants to contribute to the vine. And Jesus was, he wasn't saying in this moment, like, apart from me, you can do nothing. I know it's easy to say like, well, man, I made my bed this morning. Or man, I've managed to somehow earn an income all of these years. And maybe I didn't abide in Christ for many of those years. Well, what he's saying is there, he's, he's saying, if you want to do anything of eternal significance, if you want to do anything of consequence in this life for the glory of God, you cannot do it apart from him. You must abide in Jesus Christ. This is what brings the fruit when we are attached to the vine. Folks, following Christ, this is a very simple message. Following Christ is not meant to be difficult, even though it is sometimes. It's meant to be simple. And I want to talk about what it, what it is to be difficult and simple because in some ways, following Christ and re, remaining in him and abiding in him, it's difficult in that it's hard to surrender. It's hard for us to just sit with Jesus. It's hard for us to place all of our trust in him and to release everything that we have to him. It's difficult, but it's also very simple. If we can do that, our relationship with God will go to levels that we never dreamed if we will just remain and abide in the true vine who is Jesus Christ. Folks, Jesus didn't speak of discipline and pruning and abiding um, in order to be the bearer of bad news. In fact, he wants to deliver good news of great joy. He knew, that, he knew that for us moving forward, as life gets more and more difficult, as more and more of the cares of the world tend to creep in, that we would need the joy of Christ to sustain us. As he's speaking to his followers in John chapter 15, and he's sharing this object lesson, Jesus knew what they were about to face. They knew that he was going to be crucified and that he was going to be taken away and that they were facing punishment. They were facing maybe even execution or martyrdom. He knew what was coming for them and he knew that the joy of the Lord would be their only strength that would sustain him through the darkest season of their life. Folks, if we will abide in Christ, a relationship with God is really very simple. It's not about our good works. It's not about what we add to it. It's not about the fruit that we produce on our own because we can't. It's really all about what Jesus produces through us. And when he produces fruit, more fruit, and much fruit, 
there is great joy for the Christian. And I want that great joy for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you.